Hello and welcome to this special edition of Travelosophy. One of my plans with the podcast this year was to be more consistent with releasing episodes. However, living in a share household means my window of quiet time to record episodes is extremely limited. However, as I also write travel articles for my blog, and I put a lot of effort in these to make them both useful and also beautiful to read. So I thought, why not record audio versions for your listening pleasure? Rather than start a third podcast, I'll include them with my Travelosophy podcast. And today I'll be reading two articles, The Lure of Islands and Cape Palliser in New Zealand. I've always been fascinated by islands, and this article pretty much sums it up. I hope you find them inspirational, and I'll also include links in the show notes for the actual article if you want further information. Without further ado, here they are. The Lure of Islands by Jade Jackson Little has inspired escapist novels more than those tiny specks of land dotted throughout the oceans. Without islands, there'd be no Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe, nor The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. Stories abound of sailors, pilots and mutineers seeking paradise, who spent years living on remote islands, often struggling to survive on rainwater, coconuts and crabs, caught amongst barnacle-crusted rock pools. These stories should scare us or serve as a warning, but instead they only lure us, like the sweet lull of a mermaid's call. Islands have long seduced us, beckoned us to escape, promising riches, mystique and romance. I too have long been mesmerised by islands. Since viewing the Blue Lagoon, I was captivated by the white sand beaches framed by leaning palms, a nearby waterfall providing cool, fresh water. The islands themselves characters, often more important than the tanned bodies of actors, dumped on those desolate lands. My fascination with islands continued with Tom Hanks's Castaway. It manifested while working on a cruise ship, visiting a different Pacific island every few days. The sight of land meant time off the ship, a rarity. Eventually, I found myself staying on Green Island in the Great Barrier Reef. Sitting on soft white sand at sunset, two grey shapes appeared in the water. At first, I thought it was stingrays, but then they surfaced, and it turned out to be two green turtles. I had found my island paradise, but there was many more to be discovered. I was lucky enough to visit most of the Pacific Islands for work, whilst living in New Zealand, but none compared to the mystique of Niue. Captain Cook tried to land there, but was scared away by locals, the only island he couldn't conquer, and so he named it Savage Island, a place that's ironically so friendly, by the time you leave you'll be on a first name basis with everyone there, locals and foreigners alike. I found myself eating cheese and tomato toasted sandwiches with the ambassador to Niue. You can hear all about it in my podcast episode dedicated to Niue. Sure, life on an island can be tough, supplies are limited, but when hope is almost lost, bounties appear. Bright fruits fall from the trees. Rain drips off wide leaves and fires light up, warming the starry night. It's hard not to be sold on the hypnotic pleasures of sunshine, relaxation and coconut juice. Even to those that dislike the heat, shaded from a swaying coconut palm, 
cooled by a salty breeze drifting off the reef. It's impossible not to be persuaded. Removed from the prying eyes of urban life, in a natural paradise of beaches, rainforest and shimmering tropical waters. Of course, not every island is tropical, nor is every island remote. Despite commonalities, though, every island is unique. From its terrain to its people and culture, to the forces that created it, no two islands are alike, just like Mars is not equal to Earth. Some islands have been thrust up from plate movements, calcified rock of fossilised coral. Others were created by volcanoes whose tips broke the surface and birthed a new land. Some islands were placed there, sand deposited by currents, which soon attracted birds, whose droppings formed nutrients for a passing seed to grow. From the first tree came the first roots. Beneath the surface, coral grew. Fish soon found a hiding hole, and before long, an entire island ecosystem had formed. Meanwhile, other islands broke off from their motherland, like a twin tossed out to sea, forced to face the thunderous waves alone and isolated, surrounded by frigid murky depths, teeming with monsters so large and fearsome looking, the mind cannot fathom their biological creativity. In the vast emptiness of the oceans, an island becomes a refuge. No matter the size nor the shape, it is land. It may be mountainous or fiery. It could even be barren and rocky. All that matters, it is not the ocean anymore. It is a temporary haven. Perhaps it's these visions of safety, intertwined with the lighthouse movement, that first enshrined our love affair with islands. A single human, a soft mound of sand a gentle lick and caress by a flapping wave, a whispered breath speaking imagined words of love. With an island's strength and its warmth comes life. People soon follow, like worshippers to the temple. Some may stay, others will leave, but once an island's breath speaks your name, you'll be forever in her clutches, until its pull becomes too strong, and once more to the island you shall go. Not every island is tropical, and not every small piece of land is an island. Some are mere sandy caves, others rocky reefs appearing and disappearing with the tides. Some rocks perhaps were islands, but have since been weathered down, a jagged precipice seeming to launch out of the sea and accessible only by birds. If you want to find your own island, tucked away from the world, then you'll need the Atlas of Remote Islands, a beautiful hardcover book containing 50 of the most remote and desolate islands in the world. Some can even be lived on, as long as you agree to look after the lighthouse. However, before you run away to a featureless dot in the ocean, perhaps a mental escape to an island might be more appropriate. In the novel The Light Between Oceans, Isabella marries a lonely lighthouse keeper, but their wish to have children was cruelly tortuous until a boat washes ashore carrying a dead man and a crying baby. A moral dilemma like no other. Keep the baby and pretend it's theirs, or notify the mainland and attempt to reunify the baby with its mother. Most islands have been claimed by some authority, but that doesn't mean they've all been urbanised. Only a handful have been lost to civilization. Most remain as wild as the day they were born, which delights the adventurous explorer within. Somewhere, 
on Earth is an island hiding treasure, a lost civilization, and animals awaiting discovery. Take the Philippines, an archipelago consisting of over 7,000 islands, yet approximately only 2,000 are inhabited. If you're interested in the Philippines, check out my podcast episode dedicated to the Philippines. Meanwhile, Indonesia consists of over 13,466 islands, with only 922 permanently inhabited. Then you have the Andaman and Nicobar Islands off India, home to the last totally native tribe, unchanged and isolated from modernisation. Just as the first mudfish crawled out of the sea, each island is a reminder that from the ocean comes life. As oceans rise, these minuscule globules of perfection will be the first to disappear. Visit them. Find your treasure. Ignite your romance whilst you still can. That was The Lure of Islands by Jade Jackson. Next up, Kate Palliser. Written and spoken by Jade Jackson. Just over two hours drive from Wellington in New Zealand lies an empty stretch of unpaved road that cuts through harsh cliffs and includes a drop-off to the cold and angry water below before finishing at a seal colony, overlooked by a lighthouse on a clifftop. Standing on the shore at dusk, you can often see sharks patrolling the coast, hunting schools of fish. From the beach, throw a line and almost straight away you'll catch a blue cod that sit on the sandy bottom of the ocean. A place so wild you can go hours without seeing another person. Welcome to Cape Palliser. The lighthouse sits at the top of 250 knee vertical steps. But once you've made it, the view is incredible. It's often windy, which keeps the clouds at bay. But sunsets offer fantastic silhouette photos as blue sky turns to orange before hitting the horizon. I would often sit for hours on the clifftop next to the lighthouse, feet dangling 200 metres above the rocky shore below with only the wind and the ocean for company, breathing in its salty wildness. From up here, the ocean looks flat and lifeless, but the longer you watch it, the more it comes alive. There's seals surfing into rock pools, seagulls diving at schools of fish, waves that have travelled for days landing softly onto rocky shores, bringing seaweed from faraway lands. It's easy to imagine voices drifting on the winds, the tiny shrill songs of birds mistaken for a child's laughter in playtime. Every visit to Cape Palliser, I would always end up staying to watch the sunset, with its contrasting burnt orange and space blue. Even without clouds, the sunsets here were always spectacular and blissfully quiet. With so few visitors... It was easy to imagine I was the last remaining person on Earth. Every stress-inducing complication now non-existent. I'm always energised by nature, and whilst I was living in Wellington, Cape Palliser was my go-to escape from life. Once you turn off the main highway at Featherston, the road to the coast was straight, virtually car-free, and no matter the weather in Wellington, it always seemed to be sunny in Cape Palliser. As the road meanders out of farmland, south towards the ocean, 
the expansive view opens up like the opening scene of a movie, rugged and vast. Kate Palliser Road then hugs the beach. With its left-handed curls you could surf for hours. The wave's all yours. All day. Eventually the asphalt gives way to dirt. Before you arrive at a small fishing village, Nawi, a few kilometres before the lighthouse. Here you'll find a campground right on the water with 180 degree views of the Pacific Ocean. It was also free the last time I stayed. There's only a toilet and a short walk away, a little takeaway shop serving hot chips, coffee and ice cream out of a rusty caravan. There's a couple of batches, which are simple accommodation you can book online in Nawi. Or if you prefer something more luxurious, there are modern hotels and guest houses in the winery region of the Wairapa, which includes the towns of Martinburg, Greytown and Masterton. You could then do a day trip down to Cape Palliser. Billionaire and explorer film mogul James Cameron bought up huge pieces of land not far from Cape Palliser and moved his family there from California whilst working on the Avatar sequels. Also, he could be within a helicopter flight from the Weta Studios in Wellington. Director Peter Jackson also shot some scenes from Lord of the Rings close to Cape Palliser. To get to Cape Palliser, Wellington is the closest major airport. New Zealand is easy to drive around because out of Wellington, there's only two roads. One that goes northeast, highway number two, going to Cape Palliser, obviously you want this one, and another road that goes northwest, highway number one. There are lots of car rental places to choose from. The further from the airport you pick up the car, the cheaper it is. It's a narrow and windy road through the Rimotaka's mountain range, and the road is often closed due to high winds or snow, so double check before heading out. Once you're back on flat land, you'll arrive in a town called Featherston. There's no petrol stations beyond Featherston, so if you need to fill up, do so here. Almost immediately, there's a right turn-off to Cape Palliser and Martinborough. It's signposted, but the road is called Revan Street. Follow this until Martinborough. Turn right at Jellicoe Street, which eventually becomes Lake Ferry Road. On a side note, the town of Martinborough is worth checking out if you have time. It's a little winery village set around a town square with some great eateries and boutique shops. Once a year they have the Martinborough Festival, which features market stalls, live music, great food, and unsurprisingly, wine. Driving along Lake Ferry Road, after you pass the tiny cute church, before you hit the village of Lake Ferry, turn left towards Cape Palliser, which would take you the rest of the way to Cape Palliser. If you miss the turn off, it's not a big deal because Lake Ferry is only a five minute driveway. There's a pub in Lake Ferry which serves counter lunches and also offers accommodation. Take a picnic and a good book, might I suggest, The Light Between Oceans, and leave all your drama behind, for none of it matters out here. Be in the moment, focus on what's around you, like seals frolicking in the waves or the wind whispering seductively in your ear. There's few places left as remote and wild as Cape Palliser that are within easy driving distance from a capital city. Make sure you put it on your bucket list before it gets discovered by the masses. That was Cape Palliser, written and read by Jade Jackson. Thank you so much for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. Be sure to check out my website, jadejackson.com.au. Here you'll find my travel blog, my travel photos, and you can also get in touch. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, then visit the support the podcast page on my website. 
If you'd like to tweet me, you can say hi at Jadikins Jackson. If you'd like to get in touch on Facebook, check out Travelosophy Podcast with Jade Jackson. That's it for another show. Thank you so much for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Bye-bye now.